Hey listeners, welcome back to Shades of Crime. This is the final episode I will be releasing covering the disappearing men from BC's Lower Mainland. There are cases I haven't gotten to cover in these episodes that I will likely release in my new YouTube channel, which will be launching next week. The first episode that will be released on my new YouTube channel will be a video version of my episode on the murder of Brenda Way, so be sure to take some time and check it out. This episode, I will cover the case of Ryan Stuka as my main case. While this case has been fairly well covered, even including a YouTube documentary, I think it is important to cover in the terms of the disappearances of the men in BC's Lower Mainland. Following this case, I'll tell you about cases that have very little information and that don't have enough to create an in-depth investigation, but they deserve coverage just the same. So get ready, because things are about to get shady. Stuka was born in Alberta, Canada, and had lived there for most of his life until the winter of 2017, when Stuka planned on moving to BC to snowboard and expand his life beyond Alberta. On December 1st of 2017, Stuka and his best friend headed out to BC and arrived at the Sun Peaks Resort that day. It was at this ski resort that Stuka would work as a ski lift operator for the duration of the skiing season. Sun Peaks Resort is about a four-hour drive from Vancouver and is certainly more out of the way than the other cases that I have mentioned, but it still rests in BC's Lower Mainland and it is worth mentioning in terms of this series. Stuka was enjoying his time working in BC. He was scared and constantly pushing himself to make it through his fears, but overall he was truly having a blast living his new life. Stuka was living in a building in the resort village with a few other roommates who also worked at the Sun Peaks Resort and the group of them all got along very well. They actually spent a lot of time together and Stuka stuck with them for most of their activities. The ski village that Stuka lived in was a popular tourist destination and saw many people in and out. It was a heavily trafficked area with a nice small town feel to it created by the layout of the resort. The area was surrounded by dense forests and deep snowbanks, with many hiking trails and lots to do. This location is quite an idyllic spot. On February 16th of 2018, Stuka and his roommates were working during the day, and they had all booked off the evening because they had plans. After they got off work, they got ready at their place and headed out to a silent disco night at the local bar. From the disco event, the group of them decided to attend a party at a residence just about two minutes away from their own home. They arrived there and began mingling. This party was actually hosted by a friend of one of Stuka's roommates, but Stuka was one to always stick with his friends, so he went with them for this. 
Once the group got to the party, one of the roommates had grown tired and bored of the party, so he decided he wanted to head home. The roommate left and headed back to the residence. About an hour later, another one of his roommates had done the same, leaving Stuka and one other roommate at the party. Around 2am, his other roommate had decided that he wanted to go home, and at this point Stuka planned on joining him. The roommate looked back, and Stuka was putting on his shoes. The roommate walked out at 2.10am, believing that Stuka was right behind him, so the roommate got home and just went to bed. The next afternoon, the roommates received a call from their work, asking where Stuka was. This was weird to them because he never missed work. One of them went to his room to check up on him, and when they opened the door, they saw nothing. His bed hadn't been slept in, his shoes and coat hadn't been in the home. It was at this point that his roommates realized that Stuka hadn't come home at all. This concerned the roommates, and they immediately filed a missing persons report to the RCMP chapter in their area. One of the roommates texted Stuka's parents at this time, but they honestly thought it was a joke or just not that serious. It wasn't until they tried to call Stuka and couldn't get a hold of him that they began to feel a sense of gravity. The parents quickly headed over to the resort area to help search for their son. Police searches focused on the woods in the area and the trails linking his home with the home where the party was held. Nothing showed up in any of these locations they searched, but a couple of pieces of information did arise that piqued people's attention. When investigators talked to the neighbors next to Stuka's home, they had very little to say initially and it was left at that. That is, until they called in a tip to the police, stating something that they originally thought may have been nothing, but now, with someone missing, they thought it could be important. The neighbor called and said that the night Stuka disappeared, they heard someone yelling, get in the car, get in the fucking car, around the time that Stuka should have been coming home. Of course, this was of great interest to investigators, so they went and followed up. They were told the same story, the neighbor was convinced this was linked to the case, but for some reason investigators didn't share this sentiment. The most prominent theory of the investigators at this point was that Stuka had fallen into a ditch full of deep snow and that he had gotten stuck. This seemed very likely, but it would be hard to figure out its validity until the snow began to melt. In April, bobcats were brought in to remove snow in an attempt to find Stuka, Unfortunately, this didn't seem to help and nothing was unearthed. When the snow had fully melted and a more in-depth search of the area was carried out, still no signs of Stuka were found. This made the idea of Stuka falling into a ditch much less likely, and with no evidence of where he went whatsoever, some people began to feel that he hadn't just succumbed to the elements. Then, another report came in placing Stuka's last sighting a bit later than the one from his roommate. Someone out that night saw Stuka headed to the resort town center to get food. This lead was deemed credible and is considered to be the last true sighting of Stuka, which put him in a more heavily trafficked area, increasing his odds of encountering another person. Police put out a request for all CCTV footage from the area. There have been no reports on what was seen on the footage, which leads me to believe that nothing valuable came from it. Searches of the area involved search dogs that picked up no scent of him, 
hundreds of volunteers, and search and rescue technicians, drones, and dive teams. Even with all of these efforts, nothing was ever discovered that could lead to the location of Stuka. Stuka's parents said they don't think he met with foul play. Their main reason for believing this is that he wasn't a confrontational person, and likely would have tried to defuse any violent situation. While I get that aggression may not be in Stuka's nature, that doesn't rule out foul play in my mind. There are many circumstances of murder victims who did nothing violent and still met with a violent end. The main reason I feel that he could have met with foul play was the fact that no traces of him have been found. There are experts in the area, people who know the area inside and out, but still nothing? I mean, even if he succumbed to the elements, he wouldn't have gotten that far in deep snow, and typically someone suffering from frostbite will start taking off their clothes because they start to overheat, so it seems highly likely that something related to him would have come up. The lead of the search and rescue group on his case said that he thought it was very unlikely that Stuka wandered off into the woods outside of the main trails. His reason for this is that there were no footprints in the snow. From all of his cases he has looked into, and that he has overseen even after days of heavy snowfall, remnants of footprints still remain. And there's nothing like that in Stuka's case. Another thing that I just can't shake is the report from the neighbor about the man yelling for someone to get in their car. If he had encountered someone when he had gone to get food, they could have followed Stuka back to his home and then abducted him. Those are just words that can't be ignored when considering a mysterious disappearance. Stuka's family still continues to conduct searches for him to this day, in hopes of one day bringing home their son. Although they do believe he is dead, they would like to find out what his fate truly was. At the time of Stuka's disappearances, it was about negative 20 degrees Celsius, or negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit, and people don't last outside for very long in those temperatures. Nothing can truly fill the void left behind when Stuka disappeared, but if we can help bring peace to this family, we have to try. Ryan Stuka was 20 years old when he disappeared, 6 feet tall, and he weighed about 180 pounds. He had blonde hair and brown eyes, and he was described as having a slight frame. He was last seen wearing a burgundy ball cap, a gray and white t-shirt, a navy blue jacket, dark jeans, and gray Vans shoes. Next I will be telling you about a few cases that really don't have much information on them, but I will tell you whatever I can. Nicholas Rubini was a 19-year-old man living in Surrey, BC. Rubini was about 5 foot 10 and 170 pounds. Nicholas frequently traveled between Surrey and Vancouver using public transportation and this was a nearly daily occurrence. He was doing his usual trip to Vancouver when he was last seen on the 10,500 block of 132 Street. When Rubini stopped contacting his family, they knew something was wrong. They reported him missing to the police, but with little information, it appears that this case has received very little progress. Rubini is a black man with short black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a black jacket, gray sweater, gray pants, and a white hat. Although we have very little information on this case, I hope that somehow Rubini will be brought home to his family. 
30-year-old James Warren was a 5'9", 139-pound white man with brown hair and hazel eyes. He lived in North Vancouver, and he was last seen in his St. Andrews residence in North Vancouver on November 15th of 2018. James left his home without his cell phone or wallet. All searches and inquiries have failed to locate any trace of Warren. Police and family are concerned about his well-being. 20-year-old Andrew Jute was 5'5", with a slim build, black curly hair, and green eyes. Jute had just moved from Ontario to BC in September of 2017. After arriving, his family never heard from him. But this wasn't that weird, they frequently went long durations without speaking. It wasn't until December 29th of 2017 that they reported him missing after going a longer duration than usual without any contact. When police looked into it, they discovered he had last been seen on East 15th Avenue and Main Street in Vancouver. No sign of him has ever been found, and all resources in the search have been exhausted. At this point, RCMP are concerned for his well-being and believe him to be a high-risk case. Kian Quoc Lu was a 17-year-old Vietnamese teenager who had recently come to BC. He stood at about 5'6", and he had a slim build. He had brown eyes and medium-length black hair. Lu lived in Richmond, BC with his sponsor family. Lou was last seen walking in the area of Williams Road and Seafield Crescent around 2 p.m. on October 16th of 2018. He was last seen wearing dark shorts, a light-colored t-shirt, a dark windbreaker, a silver necklace, and a silver bracelet. Lou is new to Canada and speaks very little English. His first language is Vietnamese. 24-year-old Guo Feng Jin lived in Burnaby, B.C., he was about 5'4 and weighed about 125 pounds. He had black hair and brown eyes and was of East Asian descent. Jin was last seen in the vicinity of the 4,500 block of Hazel Street, North Metrotown, at 1.15pm on July 4th of 2018. He was last seen wearing large framed black prescription glasses and possibly a dark green Tumi backpack. Jin's father is beside himself over the loss of his son and hopes that one day he will be brought home. The cases I have mentioned above all have family members who care, people who miss the ones who vanished, and they all deserve justice. I don't know if any are connected, but in the end what matters is that work is put in to bring these people home. Please help these families as best as you can. And if you have any information on the disappearances I have talked about, Contact the police department in the location I specified for each case, or the local Crime Stoppers in that area. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Shades of Crime. Our theme music is by Shuli Musso. This episode was written and researched by me. The sources for this episode and all of our other episodes can be found on our blog, www.shadesofcrime.ca. Shades of Crime can be found on almost any platform where you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Shades of Crime Podcast. If you like what you hear, could you please rate and review Shades of Crime on Apple Podcasts? It's a fantastic way to get the word out about this show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to request a case, email us at shadesofcrime at gmail.com. That's all for this week, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.